Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Hey guys, good to see you. Man, thank you. It is good to be back. I love, this is, this is home, our heart, my family, our heart is here. We love this church so much. Pastor Marty, Patty, thank you guys so much for the opportunity Again, like the fifth time you've hired me. Thank you so much. I love this church. I lo- and how about a hand for Pastor Marty and Patty? This church has the best leaders. And we just, um, Ashley and I have learned so much, so much from them and continue to. And we are just thrilled to be back. So welcome to everybody here in this room. You guys look good. You've been working out. You look good. Welcome to those at South Campus. How about a hand for our South Campus watching live right now? We love you guys. If you're watching at the Dream Center Experience, we love you guys. Man, it is, it is good to be in God's house today. And I'm super excited about this sermon series that's starting today. Think Like Jesus. This is a sermon series that for me has not been like weeks in the making. This has been literally decades in the making. I've been wanting to preach this for years and years, and I'm so excited that it's finally happening. So let me kind of rewind the clock and tell you how this has been decades in the making. So it started way back when, when I was growing up in Kentucky. And if you're unfamiliar with Kentucky, our main exports include fried chicken, bourbon, and tobacco. So I always thought our state motto should be, if it's something that kills you, we make it in Kentucky. (laughs) And if those aren't your vices, we also have year-round horse racing to help you develop a gambling problem. So whatever whatever way you want to ruin your life, we we offer it in Kentucky. So, no, I, there's a lot more to Kentucky than that. I, I loved growing up there, uh, loved being from there. It was a really great place. But growing up there, one Sunday, and I was a teenager at the time, pastor gave a sermon. And if you're anything like me, like, I don't remember a lot of sermons, but I remember, like, little bits and pieces of certain sermons through the years where something really connected to me. And this was one of those days where the pastor was going to say something. And at the time, I didn't realize how life-changing it would be, but it ended up being life-changing for me. And so I'm going to say the same thing to you today and hope it has the same effect. So when I was a teenager, he said, listen, if you want your life to have wisdom, if you want to, if you want to know God's plan for your, your life and your, your finances, your faith, your relationships, in all aspects of your life, you need wisdom. And to get wisdom, God gives it to us in a book in the Bible called Proverbs. And Proverbs is super practical and there are 31 chapters in it. They're short chapters. You can read a chapter in about two or three minutes. And if you'll do that every single day, because there are 31 chapters in Proverbs, you can read through the entire book of Proverbs every month. And if you'll do that as part of your regular Bible reading, as part of your coffee time in the morning, your quiet time with the Lord, that wisdom will sink into your mind and heart, and it will change the way that you think. It will help you to think like Jesus. And so I started doing it. And it really, really helped. I was amazed, even as a teenager who didn't understand much about anything, how it was connecting to me and how it made sense to me. But then I started falling out of the habit. And like a lot of habits, you know, we can start them pretty easily, but then we can fall out of them. And so by the time I got to college, um, I'd sort of fallen out of the habit. I was just busy. I was doing other stuff. But speaking of college, just to prove that I one time was young, I brought you a picture from college. Here's me and Ashley love of my life. We were at some dance at college. I know, a couple of babies. 
And at college, something happened that it was like a text message from God to get me reminded about um, why I need to get back into Proverbs. So you can show this next picture real quick. So our, our school built a library, and in front of the library, they put a big black marble thing and an inscription on it. I said, my brother Ben, take a picture of it. And in the picture, he included my sister-in-law, Ann, and my nephews, Josiah and Eli. They're awesome. But every day I walked into this library, and I walked into it a lot, not because I was reading that much, but because it had the best Wi-Fi on campus. And so I was there a lot. And every time I would walk in, I would see this inscription they had put right as you enter. And the inscription said, blessed is the person who listens to wisdom. For whoever finds wisdom finds life and receives favor from the Lord. I couldn't escape that message. It was like God was going out of his way to say, hey, Dave. And not that that inscription was just for me. That message was for everybody. But it connected to me in a personal way because it was reminding me of a habit that I'd fallen out of. And that I needed to get back on that path of really seeking wisdom. And so I started it up again. And I through the years, have continued to, to, to keep that habit up. There have been days I haven't done it. It's not like a legalistic routine, but it's, it's something I try to do daily because it still helps me, and I still learn, and because the Bible is living and breathing, I can read something, the same thing, a hundred times, but each time God might use it to say something new to me based on what I'm going through, and he'll do the same for you as you read Scripture. And so Proverbs, it, it opened up my mind, and it continues to, to just kind of stretch me to think about life in different ways, and to have a little bit of that, that wisdom. And wisdom's a lifelong journey. It's not something that, that we just achieve once. It's, it's a lifelong journey. It's a path that we continue to walk on. And it's a path that he's inviting you and me to walk on together with Jesus so that we can walk with Jesus, live like Jesus, and think like Jesus so that our minds can see the world the way that God wants us to see it. I call this Think Like Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. The book of Proverbs was actually written a thousand years before Jesus was ever walking on the earth. But when Jesus came, not only was he God in the flesh and the embodiment of wisdom, but as a young Hebrew boy would have grown up learning the, the Proverbs scriptures, the wisdom literature of the Bible. And he would refer back to it in his own teachings. In fact, even last week, if you missed Pastor Marty's message last week, it was powerful as he wrapped up the It's Time to Dream series. And the main scripture last week was one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And Jesus is teaching, he said, listen, everyone who hears these words of mine is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. He built his house on a solid foundation so that when the storms of life came and they beat against that house, the house didn't fall because it had a solid foundation. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, that's like a foolish man, a foolish builder. He builds his house on the sand with no foundation. And when the storms of life come, that wind and rain will knock that house completely down. And so Jesus is calling us to build our lives on a foundation of wisdom. And even that teaching was a direct reference back to the book of Proverbs. Listen to this verse and see if it sounds familiar to what Jesus was saying. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. So Jesus is pointing us back to the truth that we can find in all of Scripture, Jesus is the word come to life in all of scripture, but we're gonna focus on Proverbs in particular over the next few weeks because it is a concentrated place where wisdom exists and wisdom is something God wants you to have. So a verse that's gonna be sort of a continuous theme is that same verse carved in granite back at my alma mater that says, for whoever finds wisdom finds life and receives favor from the Lord. God wants you to find wisdom. It's not this game of hide and seek that only a lucky few are gonna find. He's given you the roadmap to get there. He's given you the treasure map to uncover where this wisdom is located. 
And it's available to all of us right here in Scripture. But since we're going to be talking about wisdom a lot, and you know, might think, well, what does that even mean? Let's define it real quick. And first, by what it's not. Wisdom is not intelligence. It has nothing to do with your IQ. Wisdom is not education. It has nothing to do with your educational level. Some of the wisest people I know have very little education. Some of the most foolish people I know have a bunch of degrees and letters after their name. So wisdom is something different. Wisdom is this. It's the ability to consistently make the best possible choices while at the same time having the best possible motives. It's our mind and our heart working together in unison with what God calls us to. Wisdom is a gift God wants you to pursue and and possess. So much of life we feel like, I don't know what God wants me to do. And we're usually saying, I don't know, God, you want me to take this job or that job? Do you want me to move to this place or that place? And and a lot of life, it's, it's less than clear. But there are certain parts of God's will for our life that are 100% clear. And you can know without a doubt that part of God's will for your life and for mine is to pursue wisdom. Because whoever finds wisdom finds life and receives favor from the Lord. So most of Proverbs, most of this wisdom literature was written by a guy named King Solomon. And King Solomon is calling us to, to this lifestyle of wisdom. He says this, get wisdom, develop good judgment, Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. I love that for most of the gifts that God offers us, it's it's an it. It's an impersonal it. But wisdom is so profound and such a, such a part of, of who God wants us to be, that it doesn't summarize it. So God gives it a personal pronoun. It's a her, it's a she. That you ladies can say amen, because wisdom apparently is female. Amen from the ladies? So guys, listen to your wife. You know, she's got a head start. We need to follow that voice of wisdom. It's something that's, that Solomon did. It's, you see, when I said wisdom is, is a gift, This is an interesting part of wisdom. It's something that we've got to choose to pursue, but on that pursuit, it's a gift that God actually gives us. You can pursue intelligence apart from God. You can pursue education apart from God, but wisdom you can only find when you're pursuing God. It's it's part of what he wants you to do on your walk with him. And so it requires effort from us, but it also, in that effort, God's gonna supernaturally come and he's gonna give us insight that we could not get in our own effort or our own struggle. And this was Solomon's story, the guy that wrote most of Proverbs. This is how he got his wisdom. So Solomon, his dad was King David, the most famous king in Israel. King David dies, and the the nation is kind of in turmoil because there's infighting within David's family of who's going to take over. There's, you know, all of the enemies are wanting to pounce on the nation while they're weak and their king is dead. And Solomon, this, this young kid, gets picked to take over, and he's unqualified, and he knows he's unqualified. And he's praying, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do here. You you called me to something bigger than what I can do on my own. And so one night Solomon is sleeping and the Bible tells us that that God speaks to Solomon in a dream. And Solomon's sleeping and in a dream, he hears the voice of God saying, Solomon, what's one thing that you want more than anything else? What's that one thing that you want more than anything? And ask me and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, Lord, what I want more than anything else is wisdom because I need it to lead these people of yours. I need it to hold this nation together. I'm unqualified. Please give me wisdom. 
And God in this dream was so pleased that Solomon chose wisdom. He said, you could have chosen money. You could have chosen fame. You could have chosen, you know, being able to conquer all your enemies, but you chose wisdom and that's the best thing you could have picked. And because you chose wisely, I'm gonna give you more wisdom than I've ever given anybody. And I'm also gonna give you all those other things you didn't ask for. And so Solomon, you know, emerges from that dream now with this, this gift. God has is really imparted to him this gift of wisdom that wasn't just for him, but it was for us too, which is why God, through Solomon, wrote us these Proverbs so that all of us could have access to this gift that God wants us to have. Solomon began to lead with a wisdom that was supernatural from God. One of the first things that the Bible records happened after, after that encounter with God there was a situation in Israel and nobody knew, none of the, the courts or the judges knew how to, how to find justice in this situation. There were two women that both claimed a certain baby was their baby. The whole story is these two women lived together. They both happened to be prostitutes. And so even the fact that a king would, would hear a case from two people that society might judge the, the lowest rung on the societal ladder shows the wisdom and humanity that Solomon had, realizing that all people deserve justice. These two women lived together, and they both had a baby of their own. And because of their line of work, they didn't know who the father of the babies were. They were both single mothers. And these women shared a house and shared expenses, and they were both sleeping in separate beds, holding their baby near to them. And in the night, one of them rolled over on their child and unintentionally smothered that child, and the baby died. And whether as an act of desperation or selfishness or even a cruel prank, whatever it might have been, the mother of the dead child goes into the other mother's room and switches the babies out, placing the dead child next to that mother and taking the live baby and saying it was hers. So the other mother wakes up. She sees this dead child in her arms. She shrieks, you know, as anyone would do in that situation. But then as she looks closely, she says, this isn't my baby. A mother knows her own child. This is not my baby. And so they both go to the, the local courts and they say, she's stolen my baby. And they're both saying, no, she's lying, it's my baby. She's lying, it's my baby. How in the world, 3,000 years ago, with no DNA testing, no polygraph machines, no witnesses, no cameras, how in the world could you tell whose baby that is? So they come to Solomon. We hear you've got wisdom, you figure this out. So these two ladies come to Solomon and essentially say, it's my baby, she's lying. No, it's my baby, she's lying. And what Solomon does is not what anybody expected. Solomon says, bring me a sword. A sword? What are you gonna do with a sword? Well, we have no way of really telling whose child this is. So to me, the only thing that seems fair is to cut the child in two and give each woman half. And at hearing that, the real mother falls to her knees weeping and begging, my king, please just give her the baby. But whatever you do, don't hurt him. And Solomon smiles and says, now that, that's what a mother would say. Those are the tears of a mother. Give her her baby back. And that is a drop the mic moment of wisdom. Everybody just stands back and like, did that just happen? I mean, wow, that had to be a gift from God. And so Solomon's wisdom became so famous that people from all over the world started seeking his counsel. The, the famous queen of Sheba came and, and, and studied with Solomon. World leaders would come and they would bring gifts and Solomon became the richest man in the world because God was just blessing him through wisdom. 
And that same wisdom is available to us. Now, you know, wisdom is something that even when we have, we can ignore, as Solomon often did. Even with all of that wisdom, Solomon still chose foolish decisions at times. Wisdom is, isn't it, having access to wisdom isn't a guarantee you're always gonna make the right choice. You have to choose every time that you're gonna make the wise choice. We all can still sin, and Solomon still sinned, and his sins still caused him a lot of trouble that God wanted to prevent him from experiencing. But all of us, every time with the gift of wisdom, have the ability to make the right choice if we'll stay on the path of wisdom. So how do we get it? How do we keep it? That's what we're gonna talk about this month, and it starts with this. Having trust in God and a teachable attitude are the first steps on the path of wisdom. You see, faith is a massive component of wisdom because it comes from God and it cannot happen apart from our relationship with God. So you can be really smart, really intelligent, um, you know, even you know, make, make good choices a lot of times apart from God, but if you want real wisdom, it, it's only gonna come in your walk with the Lord. And you also have to be teachable. Once you think, I've, I've got it all figured out, I've got nothing left to learn, my way's always the best way, then you've chosen the path of foolishness because wisdom says, I've always got more to learn. The Bible says it this way, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And that word fool and foolishness is all through Proverbs. And you might think, oh, that sounds harsh. That sounds insensitive, calling somebody a fool. But the Bible doesn't hold punches. Like it just calls stuff what it is. And you and I are being fools when we choose a path other than wisdom. Now, when I was growing up in the 80s, like I didn't know what a fool was, but my favorite show was the A-Team with Mr. T. You guys remember Mr. T? And over and over, he had this catchphrase. He goes, mm, I pity the fool. I pity the fool that does that. And I didn't know what it meant, but I would just go around saying it. To say it to my teachers, say to everybody, mm, I pity the fool. And mom was like, you're acting like a fool. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? And she would have to explain it to me. So now I know what a fool is. And I've, I've been a fool. I've been that very fool that I've pitied. But the Proverbs is essentially saying what Mr. T said, two, you know, 3,000 years later, we should pity fools because of their foolishness and make sure that we don't follow in those footsteps because God has a different path for us. Because every choice we make is either gonna be wise or foolish. Wise choices create future opportunities. Foolish choices create future obstacles. See, God is wanting you to shape your future in a positive way by the choices you're making today. All of us are, are, are here and where we are in life, in large, some of the situations were out of our control, but in many ways, you know, where we are is a result of the choices that we've made over the years, the habits we've formed over the years. And what I try to remind myself, what the Bible's reminding us, what, what I try to tell my kids is that you're shaping your future by what you do today. Every decision you make today, the relationships you have today, the habits you choose today, you're creating future opportunities for yourself or you're creating unnecessary obstacles for yourself. We're shaping our future. And if we'll choose wisdom today, it will repay a dividend with compound interest in the days ahead. So how do we tell the difference between wise and foolish? Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's a little more complicated. I'm gonna give you like an easy quiz though, just to warm us up and to make us kind of get thinking this way. I'm gonna show you a scenario and you can out loud say if this is wise or foolish. You can just shout out the answer and we'll see if you can get 100%. And these are not trick questions, so don't overthink them. These are meant to be kind of like, you know, preschool level and we'll work up from there. But I think you're gonna get all of these. I believe in you. I think you're gonna have 100%. All right, first scenario. So wise or foolish, going public with your faith through the waters of baptism. 
Wise, foolish, wise. You guys are natural, see? Because it's something the Bible tells us to do. Once we put our faith in Christ, and when you do it, it's, it's wise, and it's a beautiful moment. In fact, we're going to have a baptism here in two weeks. If you haven't gone public with your faith in this way, we want to celebrate that moment with you, and you can sign up, and we would love to share that with you. That's a wise choice. All right, how about this next one? Putting your hand in an alligator's mouth. <laughs> foolish. See? Foolish. You guys are on a roll. You're batting a 1,000. See, th- th- these, are, these are not meant to be that hard. Um, all right, no, number uh, three, um, gathering together regularly to worship the Lord, like we're doing right now. Is this wise or foolish? Yeah, wise. See, you guys are making a wise choice just being here. So you're on a roll. All right, uh, next one. Telling your wife that that dress actually does make her look fat. <laughs> foolish. That's foolish. I can't help you. I do marriage ministry, but I cannot help you if that's how you, you talk to your wife. Um, so that, that's foolish. We can agree. She's lovely all the time. And the dress looks great. All right. Next one. Uh, serving in the community like we do with uh, serve days through our Dream Center and otherwise. Is that wise or foolish? Good. Yes. Speaking of, of serving, let me brag on you guys for a second. We have that the angel tree out here where kids right here in our community um, are being sponsored by you. And they're going to have a Christmas because of you. You guys as a church have taken nearly 700 kids off that angel tree. And so I just love being a part of a church that is making that kind of wise impact, loving, loving our community, showing them the love of Jesus. I think we've got about 100 left. I would love it if every single one of those kids could be uh, taken today. And man, what a blessing that's gonna be. So if you're able to, you know, we, we sometimes look for a way to change the world and we're thinking, God, I wanna change the world. I need to move to some other country. No, you can change the world from right here. And sometimes it's as ways as simple as that. You can't help a million kids, but you can help one. Think one kid. And the generosity that, and encouragement you'll give them by giving them a Christmas, that could be the very thing that God uses to, to point their heart to him. So thank you for being that kind of church. 700 kids, that's amazing. All right, so that was wise. We'll do one more, um, if this is wise or foolish. Jumping in a mud puddle with your wedding dress. Is this wise or foolish? You know, why do I feel like this was Kentucky again? Like, why do I feel like these are my people, my relatives, pray for my family, my parents went to a wedding of a cousin this past week, and what they described, what they described from this wedding, it's not far off from this. And so just pray for them, all right? God loves rednecks too, I know, I'm good, but, but you know, just pray for my family. All right, good stuff. So we're pretty good on these. We're batting a 1,000 on these. However, as you know, if you've lived longer than 10 minutes, life can throw you situations that aren't as easy to discern as some of these, where it's hard to know, what am I supposed to do here? I mean, do I take this job or that job? Do I go to this, move to this house or that house? So in fact, do we stay here in this community or we move to some other community where there seems to be a good opportunity? Uh, I don't, there are a lot of questions that come up in life that aren't necessarily like a sin versus a non-sin. It's like ne- both could be good, but Lord, I don't know what to do here. And what do we do in those situations? Well, the the path of wisdom isn't that voice that is always saying, turn right, right now. In fact, you know, it's not gonna whisper, you know, stock tips to you. You know, wisdom isn't gonna say, here's a little tip, buy Bitcoin today, it's gonna shoot up tomorrow. Wisdom doesn't do that, but wisdom will give you principles. Even with investing, it'll say, diversify your investments. You know, it'll give you principles by which to live, but we still have to make decisions where we don't know what the future outcome is gonna be. 
But with wisdom, when you're walking with the Lord, when you're teachable, when you're humble, the good part of wisdom is even if we get off track, in fact, even if we stumble into outright sin, it wasn't just an innocent mistake, like we deliberately sinned because of God's grace. He can pick us up, dust us off, we can learn from it, and he'll get us back to where we need to be. God has way more grace than even the GPS in your car. Have you ever noticed the GPS in your car when it's talking to you? Like Siri or Alexa or whoever you got in there. Don't you love they never yell at you when you miss a turn? You never miss a turn and it's like, you idiot, that was the turn. <laughs> it never. What do they say? Recalculating. <laughs> Recalculating. In other words, we're still going to get there. Might take a couple minutes longer. It's not a big deal. But we're still going to get there from right where you are. And maybe right now you feel like your life's just been a series of bad turns. Like, oh man, I just keep blowing it. But guess what? Wherever you are right, right now, you're, you're in a place of wisdom. You chose to be in church today. You chose to be watching online. You are investing time in pursuing wisdom and growing in your walk with the Lord. And God honors those decisions. And maybe he brought you here today to say like, listen, I know you've made mistakes. Everybody has. But if you'll bring me the broken pieces of your life, I'm going to put you back on the path I have for you. And I'm gonna walk that path with you because Jesus isn't just some magic eight ball that we shake up when we come to a crossroads to say, do I go left or right? He's the one on the journey with you that wants to take the, the, every step of the journey with you. And he'll bring you back to where he has, has for you. He'll get you back on that right path. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he has a beautiful plan for you. And so you're, you're, not, you're not broken, you're not disqualified. And we don't have to always figure it out. We don't have to figure out the 50-year plan for our life. He, he gives us enough light to just take that one next step. God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do today? Bring me today people in my path that I can love. Bring me today opportunities to make wise choices. And then tomorrow, we'll, we'll worry about tomorrow. But we don't have to figure it out all at once. Here's why. The Bible never once says figure it out. Dad, I read the whole book. It's not in there. Thou shalt figure it out. You know, it's not in there. But over and over, it says trust God. He's already got it figured out. And as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we continue to put his word in our mind and heart, then he, he's the one that's guiding our steps. And because of that, we can live out this verse, one of the most famous verses in scripture, which happens to also be in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You don't even have to worry about it. He doesn't want you to worry about it. Yeah, he wants you to give thought to things. He wants you to plan. He wants you to even wrestle with decisions, but you don't have to worry about it because it doesn't do any good. And worry makes us feel like we're the ones solely responsible for the whole world and we're just not. We don't have that kind of power. God's in control. And the more we remind ourselves God's in control and he loves us and he's for us, the more we can just at peace go through life, even the broken world that we live in with the right perspective. And so when you, like me, can get overwhelmed when you're like watching the news and you're just seeing all of the negativity and brokenness in the world, just remind yourselves, you know what? I can't fix all of that. But Lord, show me in your wisdom, like what I can do as one person with limited resources right where I am to be part of the solution, to love people right where I am, to be a little part of bringing your kingdom to earth right here in my community. And show me what I can do and then help me to trust the rest of it into your hands. Because I know one day, Jesus, you're going to come and make all things new and set all things right. And in the meantime, um, you know, I'm, I'm one person that wants to do my part. But maybe the wisest thing you could do is turn off the news, right? If, if you're watching it and it's just making you angry and making you stressed, I mean, that's not God's plan for you either. I mean, we need to have a general idea of what's happening. But 
We're the first generation in all of human history that has 24-7 access to every bad thing happening in the world all the time in real time, and we're just not meant to be able to process that. And when we try to, it just doesn't end well. And we need to be able to, with wisdom, put some guardrails around our mind and our heart and our time to say, that's not good for me. That's not helping me be more like Jesus. And so I want to focus on the things that are. And as we do that, he will guide our steps. Here's another aspect of it. Take inventory of your life often so you won't be deceived or sidetracked by anything that might sabotage your walk with Jesus. To look at your life, and all of us need to do this regularly and say, Lord, what is it that I'm doing right now that's a habit that's holding me back from all you have for me? What is it? Maybe something that I didn't even intend to become a habit, but it's become a habit, and it's not a good one. It's not helping me grow in wisdom. It's not helping me grow in my health, but it's actually holding me back. That my life would be better. I would have more freedom, more joy, more peace, and yes, probably more wisdom if I could let go of that. What is that thing for you? And you know what that thing is. Maybe that thing is, is just a, an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy mindset or, or a certain thing that you keep going to for comfort that just isn't good for you. And we've got to be willing to let those things go, to make room for the good that God wants to bring into our life. And we need to take inventory often. Say, what are those new habits I need to start doing that would be good for me? What are those habits I need to stop doing that aren't good for me? And as we allow God to take inventory of our heart, and we, we do the honest hard work of taking inventory ourselves, he really will help us. And doing those things regularly is part of what the Bible calls guarding your heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And when it talks about guarding your heart, it's not just talking about the, the organ that plump, pumps blood, but when the Bible speaks to the heart, it speaks of the core of who you are, your mind, your soul. It's, it's, it's where you find your identity. It's, it's, it's that part of you that affects all other parts. And so when it's saying guard your heart, it's like, be careful about the thoughts you're dwelling on. Be careful about what you're allowing into your mind and about the, the, the beliefs that you're living out, even the beliefs about yourself. And we have to constantly take inventory to say, Lord, help me guard my heart and help me guard the hearts of others so I'm not a person inflicting wounds on others, but I can be part of their healing too. So prepare to wrap up. I'll share one more story about a guy who found himself in a desperate situation where he really had to guard his heart in a unique way, a way that most of us will probably never experience, hopefully. But his name was Viktor Frankl, and Viktor Frankl wrote one of the most important books of the 20th century. It's a short book, powerful book, called Man's Search for Meaning. And he wrote it uh, later in life as he became a, a psychologist and a researcher, but he wrote it from his experience as a young man, as a young Jewish man in a Nazi concentration camp. See, Viktor Frankl and his wife, as newlyweds, were taken to a concentration camp, separated from each other, men over here, women over here, not knowing if the other had survived, and stripped of everything, every possession, even their own clothing, and just humiliated in the most horrendous ways imaginable. Victor had gone into this camp, and he'd held on, he'd smuggled in this, this manuscript he'd been working on. It was going to be a book. It was going to be his life's work. It's what he believed had given his life purpose. And so he couldn't let it go. And when the guards saw him clutching these papers and they pulled it away and Victor begged, please, it's, it's this book I'm working on. It's all that I have. And the guard laughed as he ripped it up. 
And Victor said, I felt like my heart was being ripped up. I thought, that's all that I have. I'm going to die here. I don't have children yet. I don't have anything to show for my life. And now it's going to end in this terrible place and my life has no meaning at all. And he stood there naked, feeling like everybody on earth and God had just abandoned him. And so the guards threw these new clothes at him. They weren't new at all, actually. They had been stripped off the corpse of another man who had just gone to the gas chamber. And so as he put on these filthy prison clothes that had just been worn hours earlier by a man who was now dead, he, he wrapped himself up in this light shirt, freezing cold on this cold day, and he, he reached into the shirt pocket and he, he found this little sliver of paper that the guards must have missed. And as he pulled out this paper and he read it, it was like a note from God himself. He immediately recognized the words written in Hebrew as the very first prayer that he had ever been taught to pray as a young boy. A prayer for the Hebrews called the Shema, which is taken straight from scripture, straight from our Old Testament scripture. And though he knew the words by heart, he read these words out loud to himself with tears in his eyes. And I'll read it in English because I don't know Hebrew, but it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Blessed is his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. These words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. And as he prayed that prayer, a prayer that he recited countless times in his life, it felt more intimate and more real than it ever had before. And he was reminded that God was with him in this terrible place. So many times in life, we, we come to a place and our hearts are broken because we believe so many lies. We believe that God doesn't care. We believe that God's abandoned us. And in our brokenness, when we call out to God for answers, he rarely gives answers, but what he does give is something even better. He gives us himself. He reminds us, I'm with you in your pain. I'm close to the brokenhearted. I rescue those whose spirits are crushed. I'm the one who will hold you through this. And Victor reminded himself, my life's purpose isn't wrapped up in whether I live or die here. It isn't wrapped up in a book. It isn't wrapped up in anything that anybody can take away from me. It's wrapped up in knowing that I'm a child of God. My life has purpose because of him. And because of that, who I am, my humanity, my soul is something that these guards can't touch. They can't dehumanize me. They can only dehumanize themselves as they lose sight of that. And so from that day forward, he held his head high, not knowing each day if he would live or die, but knowing that God was with him in it. And when he got out of that camp and the war was over and his wife had survived as well, and they began their life together. They began it with the work of saying, let's, let's dedicate our lives to reminding people what life's all about. It's not about our circumstances, but it's about our God who is bigger than any circumstance we could face. And we remind ourselves of that. That's how we guard our heart. All of us are going through some circumstances right now that are difficult. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, you all walked in here today with something, some invisible burden that nobody but God can see. But the Lord hadn't forgotten about you. The Lord's sending you a message today. I'm with you, I'm for you, and we're gonna get through this together. And reminding yourself of that, it's one of the biggest steps on the journey of wisdom. And it's a journey that Jesus is gonna take with you every step of the way.
Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've, you've given us this gift of wisdom. And just like your grace, it's a gift we don't deserve, but you, you offer it freely to us, God, because you want us, you want us to have the life you created us to have and not settle for anything less. So I pray today, God, that we would recommit or maybe commit to the first time to walking on that path with you, Jesus. And part of that, a big part of that, the biggest part of that, Lord, is to invite you to be the savior and leader of our life. And if there's anyone here today that hasn't made that decision, let today be the day that in their own mind, their own heart, they pray a simple prayer of faith. that says, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I've done it my way and that hasn't worked. I'm choosing, Lord, to do it your way. Adopt me into your family. Make me the person I was created to be. Keep me on that path of wisdom, Lord. Help me live my life for your glory, knowing you're with me every step of the way. And we thank you, Jesus, that in our good times and our bad, you're with us every step of the way. And guard our hearts as we remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.